This is The Green on Delaware Public Media, and I'm Kyle McKinnon. More than one-fifth of Americans over the age of 18 say they often or always feel lonely or socially isolated. And in the age of smartphones, social media, and streaming, it's easy to see why Americans are more socially isolated. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Morthy said recently that solving our country's isolation is one of our generation's greatest challenges and that loneliness in America is a full-blown epidemic. But if loneliness is an epidemic, how do you treat it? I spoke with author and journalist Anna Goldfarb, also known as the Friendship Explainer, to learn more about it and the impact of social isolation. Anna Goldfarb, the Friendship Explainer, more than ever before, people are spending their time alone. That's according to various data sources. And, and just speaking anecdotally, I, I feel like I see it everywhere, as in, you know, people are lonely or longing trying to get out of themselves or latch onto something of meaning. I see it at the, the gym, coffee shops, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm curious what you make of that notion and what you're seeing and, and why we might be seeing people more isolated than in previous years. Well, you don't have to look very far or deeply. I mean, just think of how you spent your last weekend. I spent my last weekend watching Love is Blind Sweden, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, did I see friends? Did I go out? Um, we have so much competing for our attention, more than ever. We are not bored. If anything, like, I know that there's a lot of studies showing that, um, you know, social engagement has declined pretty steadily since the 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, it plummeted. Trust in our government, in our news organizations, in our religious communities has plummeted. We live in a deeply dysfunctional, fractured society. And along with that is unlimited entertainment from the internet. <laughs> unlimited choices of what to watch and what to spend your time doing that doesn't require other people. We just have a really interesting cauldron brewing of deep distrust in others and unlimited entertainment <laughs> for very low cost. So it's, it's easy to see why we got here, how we got here. We, you know, social media has really splintered our community, our idea of community. You know, um, what gets the most engagement online is what's the, what's the most controversial. And I think that's really impacted our psyche as a culture of feeling more distrustful of our neighbors, feeling like, are we going to get scammed? Are, is people, are people out to get us? Like... You know, I think there's just, there's just a real air of distrust and it's never been easier to fill your time with things that don't require other people. That's really interesting. Um, and just to piggyback off that, when we zoom out and look at the contributing factors, you mentioned social media there, but there's, there's a lot, you know, there's the effect that the pandemic had and is still having, again, social media and, and technology media messaging and idealizations. Uh, it kind of goes on almost. Even remote work has changed the game and how and when uh, and where people spend their time. So it can make it really hard to essentially consistently 
put yourself out there, get out there, be in that kind of, you know, social rhythm at least. But could you break that down a little bit more, though, in terms of the factors that are creating this widespread isolation? Well, a lot of them are sociological, like just our generation, younger generations tend to marry later when they're older, they're more educated. They tend to have a lot of friends from different areas of their life where they don't know each other. They have, people have deep histories with people from school, from work, but the people from your school and your work don't know each other. There's no cohesion. There's very little cohesion, I should say. This is what researchers call a postmodern society where it resembles a spoke of a wheel. We're in the middle and then you have all these branches zooming out from us of our interests, our hobbies, our childhood friends, our work friends. We tend to move around with our work more. We work more temporary jobs for shorter times. Like we're not like our grandpa, my grandpa worked for four years at wherever, whatever he did. I don't remember grandpa, but he had a lot more cohesion. (laughs) He saw the same people every day, year in, year out. And that is just not the reality for most people today. They have very little social cohesion. And what that does is it creates more pressure for each individual to prop up their social network with no help. We have to generate reasons. We have to self-generate reasons to keep in touch with the people in our life because we don't have something gluing us in place the way that previous generations did. You know, my grandparents were part of their synagogue. They were involved with their religious community. And I don't belong to a religious organization. Um, That was a huge part of their social life. They didn't have to plan it. They didn't have to reach out to people. Let's all get together. You know, these organizations did that for us. But when when you don't invest your time in those kinds of organizations, we have to generate those reasons. And that's the pressure that we feel. We think about, I should reach out to my old roommate. I haven't talked to her. I should reach out to my best friend from high school. I haven't talked to her. We have to generate reasons. And then we have this crushing guilt of, am I doing it enough? I haven't reached out enough. You know, you see your friend on social media. Should I reach out? Should I not reach out? Other generations never had to deal with this. (laughs) This is brand new territory. Um, We have unlimited selection of who we can be friends with. But we also can leave these relationships like with very little friction. So it's it's the beauty and the burden of modern friendship that we can, it's so hyperfluid. Like you can find these pockets of people that are so deeply into what you're into, but they're not part of your your social fabric. They're not part of your life in the same way that other generations had to had to figure out a way to find commonality. If you're putting yourself out there socially and, and making those connections or wanting to make those connections, it doesn't have to be this overwhelming, this person has got to be the person, this, is ha- this has to be, um, you know, the relationship will be my best friend for the rest of my life. It doesn't, you know, if we go in without those expectations and just a, you know, low, low key or, or, or low, st- low standards, essentially just going to have a fun time that can really make a difference uh, and take that pressure off of ourselves, right? Yeah, and it's it's a difference between thinking I want friends to call me or check in on me versus I want to help 
people I admire and love achieve their dreams and live and live a full life? How can I help the people that I admire feel great about themselves? And that's a different art culture doesn't look at friendships that way. I think friendships is like a collectible. Like you have your shelf of friends, you have your lineup of friends, you roll deep, you have your squad. But what actually feels better is to approach someone and say, what, what's important to you? How can I help? You know, um, this is why accountability buddies are such a wise strategy because you're identifying a goal. You're identifying a reason outside of yourself of why you should maintain contact with a, with, a, with a cherished friend. And that is what I'm hoping people will see, that our society isn't going to give us reasons to connect. They're not going to have these this outside force creating opportunities for us. It has to come from us. But that's also an opportunity for us to achieve things that are meaningful to us with, with other people that where the goal is meaningful to them too. And so it takes the pressure off of like, well, when are we going to get together again? It's like, well, we're both working towards something that's important to us. And I want to help. That's, that's the way through. That is the way to cut through and to not make it so much in your own head about me, what I need. It's how can I help my friends with what they need? Where can we align? Where can we help each other? And, you know, oh, you're into turtles? Well, let's start a turtle chapter. Let's go to the turtle convention. You know, like it could be anything. But that, that's the opportunity that this broken, dysfunctional society has given us is, yes, we, are, we need to create reasons. And it, just knowing a little information about why people choose who they do, every friendship needs a clear and compelling about. Every friendship needs a clear and compelling about. And abouts can change. They can be outdated or they can be absent. And that really unlocks a lot about why you're seeing what you're seeing, why some friends don't reply to your text messages, why some friendships fade away, and why friend, some friendships have endured, because the about is so compelling to both people that they'll make time for it. They'll tell their spouse, you're on your own for dinner Tuesday. I'm going to go see Jocelyn because... We're in a yoga class together and we both are really into yoga and this is important to me and it's important to her and we're doing it together. Like you need a reason. My thanks to journalist and author Anna Goldfarb for joining me this week on The Green. And we wrap up the show next with Enlighten Me. With 2024 being a leap year, we hear from some Delawareans about life as a leap day baby. You're listening to The Green on Delaware Public Media.